Jump on the Steve train. We real estate disruptors. Hey everybody, thank you for joining for today's joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we've got Caleb Pearson with ZoomOffersNow.com. Now Caleb flew in from Charleston, South Carolina. Talk about how he's doing almost a hundred deals per year. Now I am on a mission to create 100 millionaires. The information on this podcast alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. Now, our sales leadership training is just around the corner. If you're not signed up yet, you're going to be missing out on Ren sharing what it takes to build a company that does 100 plus transactions a month. DM me the word leadership if this sounds like something that might be of interest to you. Now, this show is brought to you by our sister company, InvestorLift. Get access to 2 million cash buyers across the country. Go to InvestorLift.com, put in disruptors, and you'll get 10% off. Now, if you get value today, please tag a friend below. Share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And don't forget, we do have Par in the Disruption tomorrow and Certainty Talks the day after that. Now, this is also a live show. So please ask your questions for Caleb to answer. You ready? Yeah, well, let's do it. Thank you all for right. having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's actually my <laughs> honor. I've lo been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, so first question is, what got you into real estate? You know, I graduated college, moved down to Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I sold timeshare for like a month and a half and did really well at it. And I had this lady come in as one of the potential buyers and she goes, no, 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 no. You don't need to be doing this. So she kind of <laughs> wrote me in and um, took me to a friend who was a high producing real estate agent. Yeah. And then start, I started cold calling for her. She gave me the phone book and or some cold leads. And all I did was just call down lists for months at a time. And then once I got my first deal done, I was hooked. So timeshare. Timeshare. So you went, you went to college. I went to college. I had a job lined up in Raleigh, mm -hmm. but I moved to South Carolina for the summer and did timeshare for, I was going to do it just for the summer. All right. It was just, it's just a little side thing. Get a little extra income. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it was just my summer gig. Um, but it was good money. It, it was really good money. How was the, how was the training? Fantastic. I right. mean, they basically, the sales training is so good. They teach you how to ask all the right questions to where you basically put somebody in a box mm -hmm. and they cannot tell you no. Their only way of getting out is to say, I can't afford it, mm -hmm. um, which they've already prepped people and people have filled out forms so they know what these people's income is. So they know that's a lie. <laughs> so it's, I mean, it's really, really good sales training. It's like a really like um, bulletproof like you can't screw up the sale. It's the it is some of the best sales training that I've been through in, okay. in, in any um, profession. Um, so I, I'm asking this because like I, I actually do share with some people that are like you know we're talking about sales training and we do that and I was like if you want to experience sales training or if you want to experience sales like high quality sales go to a timeshare because um, I went to one with my wife in Hawaii many many years ago. Yeah, and I asked her like do you want to be the good guy or the bad guy. Because I knew it was going to be like a quality, you know, sales appointment. Yep. So like I'll be the bad guy. I was like, okay, I'll be the good guy. Yep. And uh, that's actually part of the sales training of the process. Is yeah. They ask which one of you guys had that conversation. Oh, really? In there. Yeah. I'm telling you, like they <laughs> beat you to every punch before you even give them the objection. And yeah. then you get to the end and you know what they make and you know how much they spend on travel. And it, it just makes no sense to say no. So they, right. that's why all your friends end up walking out buying a timeshare. Well, I told my wife and she's like, she's going to be the bad guy. So we get to the end. I was like, well, what do you think? And she's like, I want to do it. I was like, all right, let me stop this right here. Like, she's supposed to be the bad guy. We're not buying this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it looks sexy. It looks great. There. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was a realtor. So um, I was like, I feel bad for wasting your time. But, you know, we're trying to get the luau thing. Yeah. And she's like, don't feel bad, honey. I closed two out of three. It's like, wow. Yeah. 
It's crazy. Yeah, and it's good. It's good money. So, like, what kind of money we're talking about as far as like timeshare? Um, I mean, I think my first month I made like eighteen grand. I mean, but right really? out of college, that's kind of a lot of money. Yeah, um, probably a lot but, more than you were planning on making with your other job. Yeah, and I, sometimes I heard some of the managers tell people things that I didn't really agree with or mm-hmm. knew weren't totally true. So there's a there was a little bit of a of a boiler room feel. Yeah, um, I felt a lot better about myself selling real estate. Um, yeah. So this other lady comes in and like pulls you out. Like, was she actually there for a timeshare or was she there to the recruit? She was there just as a, a potential client. Okay. And then introduced me to this lady. Um, I mean, it's just funny how introductions happen to other people, to yeah. other people. And then this ended up being what I've done for the last 10 years. So you started cold calling. So how long ago was this that you transitioned from? I'm sure the cold calling for real estate. Um, it was about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. And then, so you start cold calling, like who are you cold calling? Expired listings for sale by owners. Um, I listened to every like Tom Ferry, Mike Ferry coaching YouTube video that you could watch. Um, got pretty good at doing that. Um, and that's how I built my entire retail business was off of just being so the streets. Calling for, for listings. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I had a chance to go through the Mike Ferry coaching. I didn't go through like the full training, but you know, went through, it was like, it was like this 14 set DVD. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was really high quality training. I didn't like the way he taught it, but it worked. I mean, it's kind of like, it's aggressive. It's aggressive sales. Yeah. Um, but it's good. The one that stuck out to me was like, Hey mom, it's Mike. This is a business call. Right. When he's calling his mom for referrals. Like, yeah. Man, that's like <laughs> <laughs> so direct to the point. Okay, so what was like your first year like calling expires and cancels? Um, well, I mean, it was it. I, you just get better. The more you do it, and the more sales training, the more the more higher education that I was getting, the better I got at it. So, let's say one out of ten for sale by owners the first year that I was calling, I'd set an appointment. Well, mm-hmm. I got to where I was. Like seven out of 10 people that I talked to that were selling for sale by owner, I, I was getting in their front door. Wow. Um, so you just get, I mean, I guess you just get more proficient at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were you going then, you're cold calling. Were you then going out there as a listing agent? I was setting my own appointments, running the appointments as a listing agent, taking the listing. Um, okay. So you were joining someone else's team. Correct. And you're basically the um, cold calling, booking your appointment, going out there, getting the listing. Correct. You're handing it off or are you? Um, yeah, we actually had, she had a staff on the back end that was coordinating the pictures and getting it into the MLS and so doing your, all that, like a listing coordinator. So in your first year, how many, how many deals did you do? Say 60 to 70, somewhere in that range. Really? Yeah, it was a pretty, pretty good amount. Now I had, the, I had heard that would go on the appointments with me when I first started, which if I didn't have that. I would have missed some of those listings. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I had a good mentor. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So when then start buying houses. So that was back in 2012, 13, 14, um, kind of at the bottom of the market. And I'll tell you, it was one deal that got me into the investment side. I had a, um, I had a, an expired listing. I talked to the guy and he said, it was listed, I think at 200. And he said, man, just get me an offer. I don't care what the offer is. Just get me an offer and I'll look at it. So I knew one investor in town that I called and I said, Hey man, this seller's super motivated. What can you pay for it? And he said a hundred. So I'm thinking there's no way, there's absolutely no way this guy takes it. So I called the guy back and said, yeah, my investor said I'll pay a hundred. 
And the guy's first response is, how quickly can he, clo- can he close? I'm thinking, there's no way this guy's taking this. The guy and called my guy. He said, 10 days. We closed and called the other guy back. He said, I'll take it. Um, made him a quick, probably 50, 60 grand in profit. And I made $3,000 in commission. Yeah. So I was sitting on the wrong side of the table in that um, scenario. And I just told myself, like, I'm never doing that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I figured out who's flipping houses and or who's wholesaling and how are they doing it across the country at, at a high level. And yeah. just, I always go to the, find the best coach right off the rip mm-hmm. if I'm going to build a business. So you go in there and you, so the guy makes 50, 60 K on this deal. Yeah. You're making $3,000. Three grand. Like, did you like cold turkey change or you're like, or this is like, it's like percolating your brain for a year. Like how, what was the transition? No, I immediately went and found a coach um, or a mentor that was flipping homes Mm -hmm. and just started picking their brain while I had my retail business still going Um, because our retail business still grew for another call it five, six years. But then we built the, the, the fix and flip wholesale mm-hmm. arm side by side with it. At this time, were you still on the other team or were you your own team? At, uh, at, at this I had started my own retail team. So okay. I branched off from the lady that brought me under her wing. Okay. Um, so I had that team going and then I had to figure out how to build a wholesale fix and flip business that wasn't based around me being that person running the appointments. And, yeah. And so you were still calls. cold calling at this time? A little bit, but not as much. I was more of like overseeing the teams. Okay. So you got the retail team. Yep. And then you got this house buying team. Correct. Now, when I started this podcast years ago, my vision, right, was like to take the realtor community and the wholesaler community and like kind of like marry this, like the two communities, right? Yeah. Because it just makes sense. And what I figured out after a month and a half is this marriage is never meant to be, Right. Realtors kind of judge the wholesalers and wholesalers kind of judge the realtors. Yeah. I'd love to get your take on this. 90% of realtors don't know what a wholesaler is. Yeah. Um, And then wholesalers don't think that realtors bring much value. Mm -hmm. Um, But really I I see because you've sat in both seats, you understand the value that both of them could bring each other if they would work in cohesion, but it just, nobody's figured it out. Like oil and water. But our team, I mean, it's awesome because the wholesale team, if they can't go buy the house and sellers just want retail price, then they just flip it over to the retail team and they list it and everybody's happy. Yeah. They just pitch us off all over there. Correct. I mean, it's it's a solution for the sellers. And then we win either. I don't care which side. I mean, I prefer them sell us the house. So you've been, I mean, your top producer, right? Like, have you gotten any pushback, blowback inside your realtor community for the fact that you buy houses? No, and we market to our to the agents across the market at mm-hmm. least once a month, whether it's through text or through email blast, um, saying that we're out there ready to buy houses. And I mean, we have some of the best deals we get are from real estate agents. So, talk to me about that that marketing message. How are you connecting with realtors? Because right now, realtors are getting blown up, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's people out there. You know, Ryan Zolan, someone who's here, he's teaching people how to buy houses from realtors. Yep. Right. How like what? What is your messaging when you're talking to realtors? Yeah, so we do it mostly through the Zoom Offers app, which I guess we'll talk about here in just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, but we're just emailing them saying, hey, guys, we're sitting on some cash right now looking for a, a deal. If you, if you have any highly motivated sellers or any houses that need work, um, we'd love to get you a number on it. I mean, yeah. it's as simple as that. And we're buying, I'd say, between two and four from agents a month. Wow. Okay, so what are those? 
Are there like rebuttals? Are they receptive? Like what is like the mix of conversations you're getting from realtors? A little of both. I mean, yeah. you know how it is. Mm-hmm. Some agents, you get the few people that say, oh, you guys are a bunch of sharks. Um, what are you just going to send us a bunch of lowball offers? Mm-hmm. And then you get the other people who say, hey, I have this listing. These sellers aren't motivated, but I've got another guy that we're going to be putting his house on the market next month. He doesn't really want to put it on the market. It needs X, Y, and Z. Can y'all come make a make an offer? Yeah. Um, and then we go provide that seller a solution and that agent gets paid. Okay. So you said you went out and sought a mentor to help you build out this house buying arm. Yeah. What was like that transition like from when you put your flag on the ground? When was it approximately? Probably four years ago. Okay. So I'd say. you put your flag on the ground, like we're going to start buying houses. What yeah. was that progression like? Was it like instant success or what were some of the challenges? Um, well, I guess it was probably six years ago. So I got into Collective Genius, fortunately. I knew somebody that was in Collective Genius, which is a mastermind that we're both in. Yep. Um, probably before Jason should have let me in. It was back when it was not, it, it's way harder to get in now. Yeah. Um, but we were doing 200 retail transactions a year and had kind of dabbled in a few flips. Yeah. So I talked to my buddy that was in there and he talked to Jason Medley and Jason Medley let me in. And that was just like the gasoline to the fire because everybody in that room is doing what? 50 plus? A lot more than 50 plus. Yeah. I'm one of the small fries in there. Yeah, I would say the smallest guy in there might be doing 50 up to what? 600 to a thousand. Some of those guys. Yeah. I think there are, I think there are multiple guys doing uh, 400 plus transactions. So it was awesome. I mean, I got to go sit in a room with those guys and tell them I'm just getting started. What would you do? And they're like, Here's my direct mail piece. I would send this. Here's what the text message software we use. Here's the CRM. I mean, all they were, they just threw up everything that they've learned for the last, call it 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, and just let me run with it. I'm a good implementer. Um, so all I did was just copy everything that they did, implement it, and then we've run with it. Yeah. I'm thinking right now, there are some guys in there that are doing a thousand plus transactions a month. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some, uh, I'm one of the small fries in there too. <laughs> okay. So, um, it was pretty quick then, the, the evolution. There weren't like any like major hurdles in, in, in transitions to start buying houses on top of doing your retail business? No. I mean, it's pretty similar. And if you, I mean, if you know how to run a business, it's, the retail business wasn't a whole lot different than building the wholesale fix and flip business. Well, and that's the reason why I'm trying to like marry this community. It's just like, we're all doing the same thing. We're just marketing it differently. Yeah. Well, good luck. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I've given up on it. But, yeah. <laughs> but that was, that was the uh, original intent. Okay, so at some point along the way, you became the number one REMAX agent in South Carolina. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, that was just from just brute force. Just, mm-hmm. And then we brought in additional salespeople over time. And just I taught them exactly what I did. Here's the scripts. Here's the people I called. Here's how we do it. Um, and then we, we just got highly productive. Yeah. Um, was uh, there something you did differently? Because like as a as a new real estate agent out of real estate school, right? Everyone's promising everything. Yeah. Right. Like what did you do in recruiting to separate yourself from every other real estate team that's recruiting? Um, well, it was, I mean, I hired my brother, my cousin, their friends, and they kind of just saw my growth pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, and they saw that what I was doing was working. So they didn't give me a whole lot of pushback. I mean, pretty much the first few people that I got on our team if you told them to do something, they didn't ask questions. They just would run through a wall for you, um, which was awesome because right. then they saw quick success mm-hmm. and they told 
friends and we didn't really have great hiring processes. We just brought on whoever would come on yeah. at the time. Um, obviously we've refined those over time, but that's yeah. it. And then here's how we do it. And we get people ramped up. Most of our guys are doing 10 plus million right out of the rip on the first yeah. year. Wow. So you didn't have to really recruit too hard. It was just like, we have success and people are like, Caleb, I like what you're doing. How can I be a part of this? Correct. That's, yeah. that's exactly how it, it's. Going. I mean, that's, that is a way to market. That was kind of how we grew our brokerage initially. Yeah. Now, at some point, I closed my brokerage down. What's the story with, with your building, your team, and the brokerage, and so on? Yeah, so I, I've never closed my brokerage team down, but I own the, a REMAX franchise mm-hmm. that I bought uh, eight, nine years ago, I guess. And we kept it for about six years, and then we sold it. It just wasn't making any money. The, yeah. There isn't a whole lot of money, as you know, in owning a brokerage. Right. The money's in selling real estate. Yeah. Um, so it just, the amount of time that, and the amount of risk that was involved with it just mm-hmm. wasn't worth it. So we shut that. Well, we have yeah. people that reach out to us from time to time, you know, and like, Hey, you know, I heard you have a brokerage. Like, what do you recommend? And I always just tell them, don't, what do you say? Don't <laughs> build a sales team. Yeah. Um, but I'm just a big proponent of building a business that's based around the lifestyle that you want. Sure. Um, and if you want to build a brokerage with a hundred agents, you're going to go ahead and forfeit a lot of your, your quality time. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So what is the lifestyle that you're trying to live? And then how did you build a business to support that? Yeah. So it used to be just run 80 to hundred hours a week as hard and as fast as I can go. Mm-hmm. And then strategically over time, I've gotten into a couple of different other masterminds that have taught me how to build a business around my lifestyle. So adding people, quality people in certain positions in each business um, that gave me a lot of time back. Um, buying the apartments has given me a kind of a safety net that has helped me not have to work as many hours and as, as hard as I was running for so many years. And just, just building it, all of our teams with really good people has been yeah. probably the biggest key. So number one key, if you're trying to build a business that supports your lifestyle, is the people. Is the people. And mm-hmm. hiring good A players, putting the right people in every seat in each business. Okay, so how about I go about hiring a players today like i'm uh, telling you like i'm actually you know in the market potentially for a coo yeah right so i'm telling you caleb i'm looking to hire a coo how would you counsel me yeah so i would you can't you have to have a process obviously when you mm-hmm. hire someone especially hiring someone at that level yeah um i'm not a huge fan of like indeed and hiring through that or any of the job sourcing i I like hiring a headhunter to go mm-hmm. find somebody because the best quality of person that you're probably going to find is already working somewhere else. They're not unemployed. Yeah. Um, so I like the headhunter process um, and let them go find you good quality candidates. But then it's still up to you to put right. them through a process to bring the right person on and then onboard them the right way too. Because mm-hmm. you might get the right person and then you might not be organized when you onboard them and they, like a COO type person, needs some. He doesn't want to come into complete chaos. Yeah. Well, whoever we hire is definitely going to be walking into chaos. So <laughs> that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So uh, in working with a headhunter, is there any parameters, any, like we have someone in-house right now that does our recruiting and he absolutely refuses to make a job posting and has to give him a thought out job description as well as some uh, key metrics that we're going to hold this person accountable for. It's like, man, like, how'd you work for me? Right? Yeah. <laughs> but what, like, what is the core uh, communication like with your uh, headhunter? 
Um, so I actually I have a COO now that handles that. Yeah. Like when we go to hire somebody, he provides that or right. he provides it to me and I just might take some notes Check and make some it. adjustments because we're not built to sit down and write out yeah. a three-page job description. Yeah. And that's not your personality. No. And that's why you've probably been putting it off for so long. <laughs> I have. Um, so, I mean, you need to find a good person in your organization to at least build out the template for you mm-hmm. and then let you just make, make the yeah. adjustments. Well, then what about the, the hiring process? Or you're talking about the, the screening process. So, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today and like, we're so concerned about how to find people, but not as many people put an emphasis on screening people out, making sure the wrong people don't get in. Yeah. So what do you guys do as far as making sure we're bringing the right people in and keeping the wrong people out? So I like to let them run through at least two interviews. That's with either one of my sales guys and then my COO first before they even talk to me Mm -hmm. because they need to get two yeses before they get to me. And most of the time, like those guys have been with me for so long. They know our culture. They know our core values. They, they can ask the right questions to see if that person fits. Yeah. Um, is there any particular uh, resources you like for recruiting or screening or any particular tools? You know, I, we haven't hired in so long. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just what we used to do. And we yeah. would just either bring in a headhunter or my COO was taking. I mean, like truthfully, um, you know, like at least you'll go and meet with them. Like I removed myself from even meeting with them because I'm just a rubber stamp. Like <laughs> I just, yeah. Like I, I, we have the expectations. We have the, we use PI, we use the interview questions, this and that. But like, if you make it past the two first two people, like I'm not going to be the one to be. So like, yeah, it looks for me. Like looks good to me. Yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love the PI. Yeah. Nobody gets into our organization without doing the PI either. But right. I, now I'm not the pro at reading the PI. We've got another guy that we send it to. Yeah. And he tells me, here's what you need to watch out for in that person. They're going to, this is how you manage them. This is what you can't do to manage them. Um, I, I love the PI piece to it. Yeah. So let's talk about building your organization to a point where you're doing a hundred transactions a year. And this is whole, between wholesales and flips. Yep. Right. So like, uh, if I come to you and I say, Hey, all right, I am ready. You know, I'm doing a deal or two a month. I am ready to now start doing a hundred deals a year. Yeah. What are two or three big things I need to do? to build an organization that, that can handle that? Probably can't do it on your own mm-hmm. or you won't have a lifestyle. So make a hire whether, and it's probably going to be, that person's probably the salesperson. And then your first hire is probably going to be some sort of administrative person yeah. um, that can handle everything on the back end. But to go from two a month to call it eight to 10 a month, it's mostly going to be marketing as you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. So is there uh, a couple of pieces of marketing you like better than anything else? I love direct mail. Yeah. I know you guys, you said y'all aren't even doing direct mail, but you're well, in a different, way different market than we yeah. are. Too. So we love direct mail. Uh, we use investor machine for a very long time and it's been great. It's just, we got punched in the mouth pretty hard uh, in the middle of the year. So we've kind of scaled back. Yeah. Um, so direct mail is, is your favorite piece. Yeah. And I just think if, just from what I'm seeing through collective genius, some people swear by it. And then the people that are in the huge markets, they, they don't swear by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I guess it's just because there's so much competition. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know someone in my market that does really well with, 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 direct, mail. with direct mail, right? So obviously he's doing something right. Yeah. You know? uh, so it's not that it doesn't work, but I mean, we just kind of had this, again, gut punch. I should kind of show you the board, right? Like we got properties that were flipping and... Uh, the question isn't like, are we going to lose money on it? The question is how little can, <laughs> can we lose uh, on these flips? 
Um, okay, so marketing, you, you think, is, is the biggest thing. So, I think ramping up marketing is the easiest way to go from two to eight to 10 a month. Yeah. And so that makes total sense. Now, a lot of times people are talking about scaling and scaling, right? Like it's like, it doesn't seem to be the buzzword today, but it was a buzzword. It seemed like six to 12 months ago. When the wind was at everybody's back. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and so money like, was just blowing out of everybody's ears. Yeah. So if I go and spend, let's say 15, 20 grand a month in marketing, I'm going to have some serious issues if I'm not prepared for it. Correct. What are some serious issues I'm going to run into by spending, you know, 15, 20 grand a month in marketing? I mean, if you don't have sufficient reserves, mm -hmm. you're going to run out of cash fast. Right. Um, because there's a cycle of cash. If you send $20,000 out the door, yeah. it's going to take 60 to 90 days minimum, would you say, before those, direct dollars, mail? Yes. Before those dollars start returning back the to your pocket. first of those dollars, not all of it, the Cor first of the dollars. Correct. Yeah. Um, so I'm seeing that, and that's where I think we're seeing the biggest shift in the market is all these people that ramped up so fast mm -hmm. and they didn't have enough cash in the bank. Like We're yeah. starting to get a lot of calls off of our postcards from flippers that ran out, that got... 75% of the way to the finish line on mm -hmm. the flip and they don't have any money to finish it because yeah. it's all out marketing or it's all or down payment or whatever. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And all the reserves are, or all the liquidity is locked into the assets. Liquidity is going to be the key word I think over the next like six to 12 months. Yeah. So cash reserves is one. Anything else? Um, what do you need to watch out for? Is that yeah. what right? the question like, was? Because if we tell someone to like, go spend more on marketing, um, you know, I can say like for me, one of the things that I learned very quickly was that I didn't have the resources to take the calls. All right. That was, that was going to be my next answer. Yeah, Just answer the freaking calls. Cause right. you can send out $20,000 worth of mailers. Well, if those calls come in and you don't have somebody live answering them, your chances of conversion are go through the floor. Right. Um, so that's the biggest one is don't go spending more than you can handle. Yeah. As far as incoming calls go. Right. And then as far as, you know, we have Jason Lewis, he's been on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to having him come back very soon. Uh, we have like differing ideas as to, or he and, I, he and I are the same, but other people have different ideas who should be answering the phone. So, you yeah. know, you got like these calling, answering services, you got answering services, you got VAs, you got lead managers, you got acquisition managers. So there's like four different people, right? Yeah. That could be answering the calls. Who's answering the calls of your company? My top sales guys. Your top sales My guys. My top sales guys. Um, okay, what's the rationale for that? Because I started listening. We used to let them go to a VA company and then they would warm the lead up and pitch it to the sales guys. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the sellers were actually getting frustrated with the VAs because they were so poor that they weren't, they would just hang up the phone and you couldn't get them back on the phone again. Yeah. So when those people are calling in, yes, what do you think? What'd you say? Four out of 10 are good calls mm -hmm. when people call in off of a postcard, yeah. but those are four super valuable leads. And you a, paid a lot of money for that. were super expensive. Yeah. And that somebody can easily ruin if they're not good on the phone. Yeah. So that's why I want my best people answering them and live answering them. I ride my guys about their call answer percentage on a weekly basis. What is uh, the target as far as answer rate? A hundred percent is the target, but they don't hit it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's the goal is to get yeah. to a hundred. What is uh like typically what do you see? Around 80 to 85 is what yeah. we're seeing usually. You know, and it's such like an obvious thing when someone points it out, you should have a hundred percent target answer rate, you know, but it wasn't that Eric Brewer was talking at CG. He's like, yeah, you know, we found out we're in the sixties. Yeah. 
And like we moved like heaven and earth <laughs> to get it up to like, uh, I think high 80s, low 90s. Yeah. It's hard to get to 100. Yeah. I mean, even one week, <laughs> I, we rarely ever have one week where it's 100%. Yeah. Um, but that's, so I know some people that have like stacked different schedules where some people work, you got certain people that answer the calls until call from eight to two and then mm-hmm. from two to eight. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the exact solution is, but just answer the damn phone. <laughs> and it sounds so obvious, but something we totally miss if we're not tracking that metric. Correct. Yeah. All right. So uh, somewhere along the way, you bought a bunch of doors as well. Yes. So talk to me about this journey. So that was another collective genius driven move. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Bratz and Corey Peterson, who you know, both of them, mm-hmm. um, they were in the group and I was kind of like looking around and saying, all right, who's got the best lifestyle in here or quality of life to where they don't look, seem like they're just grinding away. Yeah. And they were two of them. So all they I did was do seem pretty relaxed. Yeah. So I flew, I went to Corey's event immediately mm-hmm. and then I flew to Tim's event or I've been, I flew to Tim's office like three separate times yeah. and just picked their brains and they were awesome about sharing ideas with me and how they get, got started and told me what, what not to do when I got yeah. started and what to do. Um, and within about two, three years, we picked up a little over 300 doors. Wow. Um, I actually had a chance to go through Tim's course uh, at some point or his event. And it's crazy, right? The things you don't even realize are like, you know, that you talk about there's like what you know you don't know and there's what you don't know you don't know. And mm-hmm. you hear his nightmare stories like, wow, there's a lot that can go wrong if you're, if you're not aware of the upcom- upcoming challenges. Yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced when you first started buying doors? Um, I didn't realize, not to get political, but I didn't realize, like, I'm not buying any more blue states. Um, the, <laughs> the eviction laws are tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Never really thought about that being an issue. Um, I looked at an apartment like a house when we were flipping them and doing major rehabs on apartments and just your problems are a lot bigger when you multiply it by 60 doors versus mm-hmm. one door. Um, so we blew through some budgets on some rehabs. Like How badly? Like quarter million dollars. Off by a quarter million? Yeah. Off by a quarter million dollars. Um, actually, probably off by a little bit closer to th- $350,000 on one. Yeah. Um, what, what did you miss? Just when you take 50 doors and you mult and the, the renovation cost goes up is $2,000 over your door per door budget. Yeah. That's a hundred thousand. So you can do the math and see yeah. how, if you miss some air conditioning units or some hot water heaters or yeah. a roof that didn't, you didn't think of, it's just everything with apartments is you add another zero or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's either a good thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's a bad thing um, if it's in the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, the one story that stuck out to me was like, there's a difference between vacant properties and it was like economically vacant, or there's another term for this, right? Is that economically vacant where they're living there but not paying? Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, like, you know, it's this percentage occupied. And you, if you're a new investor, take that to accept, oh, we got this many percentage people paying. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's occupied but it's not collecting rent. Correct. And sellers will lie to you and provide you false financials. And I mean, you really ought to, we've gone one extra step to asking for the bank account showing canceled checks or showing that that money actually came in because the financial said, call it $60,000 that Mm -hmm. month came in. But really when they sent the bank accounts, only 40 came in. Um, So that's just, and then you go and you buy a property based on those numbers and then you realize you just bought 
uh, you bought a problem. Yeah. Have you bought any problems? Um, I would say every single one of them has come with some sort of problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, now I've just gotten to where I like 1990 and newer, um, B class. They just seem so much more low maintenance, mm -hmm. easy to manage and easy to, to stabilize yeah. than the old stuff. So you bought it to attain a certain lifestyle. Yeah. Have you attained that certain lifestyle from the apartments? I'd say we've gotten pretty close. Okay. Um, what is the lifestyle you, you aspire to have? I wanted to play golf, call it four days a week, and then work, call it 30, 40 hours. Got it. Um, and I'd say I'm pretty close to doing I mean, I, that's about what my week looks yeah. like. Um, and then as far as, you know, getting these apartments, what would you say is the hardest part in getting apartments? So that's changing. Um, the hardest part of the last three years has just been finding them, mm -hmm. finding deals that pencil and that work. Um, and now I think now that the market is changing, I think that the deals are going to be easier to find, but the money piece is going to be harder. Mm -hmm. Um, because especially with higher interest rates, making the deals work from the financial, uh, standpoint is a little yeah. bit more challenging on the underwriting side than it has been. So I'm not very educated on the multifamily side. Yeah. So with the interest rates going from, I don't know, like what was the Fed rate beginning of the year? What's the Fed rate today? Uh, I don't know that. I mean, it's up like maybe two points, right? Yeah. For the year, something along those lines. How does that directly translate to the valuation uh, or the financing of an apartment complex? Yeah. I mean, it'll drive, it has to drive cap rates up. I mean, mm -hmm. cap rates got squeezed all the way down to where people were buying stuff in the three to five cap rate. That's the Phoenix market. Yeah. And they just, when you put debt on them, they really don't cash flow. Right. Um, but now when you're throwing debt on those things, they're going to really negative cash flow if you're buying them at that low of cap rate. Mm -hmm. so I think cap rates will definitely come up. Um, but and that just, directly brings the value down. Correct. Yeah. I mean, because most people are throwing debt on these things. Yeah. Um, and you have to, they, I'm not, I will not buy property if that thing's not cash flowing. Right. And people have been doing it for the last two, three years, just buying stuff based on a pro forma mm -hmm. or based on that they think it'll appreciate. Right. Um, well, they had to. They had to, if they wanted to buy. Yeah. But I'm just, I don't, I think in any market, you don't, you only buy good deals. Don't right. buy just to buy. Yeah. Okay. So the financing is the, is the biggest thing right now. Financing's huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you have something. Oh, we were talking about uh, offline. Uh, so having two, 325 doors, you and I were talking about how I have, um, back in my day, I was an REO agent and I was sharing some of my nightmare stories, right? Like you have to have all these listings that you're paying utilities every month. And the, my worst one was I had to spend 20 plus thousand on the roof. Yeah. And I was just like anxious for the reimbursement from, the, from Bank of America on that one. You've got similar issues right now in your business. On the That's apartment right. side, yeah. yeah. So talk to me about the utility situation. So utilities are pain in the ass. Yeah. Um, and every town is different. So it's not as easy as just going in and setting up the utilities online. Like mm -hmm. sometimes you have to call in. Some of these towns want you to come physically in, which we've figured out, out ways to not do it. But either way, so you're setting up utilities for apartment 1A. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're renovating 1A. You put a tenant in it. You call the town to put it, to transfer it into the tenant's name. They don't do it. And then it, you, a couple months later, you see that you're still paying utilities on it. Well, mm -hmm. when you're in 300 something doors and you multiply it by 20 or 30 of them where you've paid an extra month or two in utilities, 
that that adds up. Yeah. Um, so just the logistics behind the utility piece on these properties is it's it's a pain in the ass. I, I can't even imagine that. So the other thing you've done is uh, you created something some time ago, zoomoffersnow.com. Yeah. So what is that and how did that come to fruition? Yeah. So that is an online offering software that we built mm -hmm. um, back in my retail days when I was running, call it 20, 30 listing appointments a month. I would go and I'd, I'd meet with all these families and there was always call it five to seven of that 30 that I sit down with that would be super motivated. They would say, Caleb, I want to list it at call it 300. Um, and then I'd ask, well, what's the lowest you'll take? And they'll say 220. I'm like, well, damn, that's, that's a high percentage. That's pretty motivated that mm -hmm. the market doesn't really know. They, the buyers in the market don't know they're super motivated. Mm -hmm. So I said, how do we get offers in front of everybody that's raised their hand and put their house on the MLS? Um, and what would, how would you do it? You'd sit down on zip forms and write, call it, how many active listings do y'all have? In uh, we got like 20,000, but back when I was very, very first starting, I, as a realtor, was writing 20 to 30 offers a day for another investor, Yep. right? Typing it up, mail, emailing it, sometimes faxing the offers. Yes, which took half a day for you to do. Yeah. So I said, all right, how do we get offers in front of the 20,000 active listings in the MLS mm -hmm. without having to sit down and individually type it up. So I was sitting with, out at drinks one night with my buddy and was telling him about my idea and trying to figure out how we could do it. And he said, well, I've got this guy that does software. So he puts us in touch and I tell him about my ideas. And then he says, oh, I can build that. So what we did was we built an app to where in like three clicks, you can select which listings on the MLS you want to make offers mm -hmm. on. I mean, you can cast a net over the entire MLS and send 20,000 offers out if you want in about three clicks where it'll auto-populate the offer, sign it for you at the bottom, and then send it to the listing agent um, attached in the email so it looks just like a regular offer sent from an agent. So it looks like a regular purchase contract. It looks it's exactly- not, It's not an LOI. It looks exactly like if you were to sit down and type it up and fax it or scan it off yeah. to them. And it's wow. signed. Wow. Okay, so I could just look at these. I, I set up a safe search that yep. matches these criteria. Yep. Right, like 100 days on market. Yep. Uh, you know, a handyman special. Correct. Yep. I get these six. I go into Zoom offers now. I was like, all right, I like these six properties. And then we're just sending offers. Yep. You can individually do them or you can do it on all 300 that pop up. Mm -hmm. Like it has a search criteria to where you can... Say anything that's been on the market for 90 days or more, anything yeah. that's three bedrooms or more, 4,000 square feet or less. Um, the software even has, you can put in keywords like handyman special or motivated seller, and it will populate all the listings in the MLS that had that search criteria. Mm -hmm. And then you can just click, click, scroll on what you offer. So it has like a little toggle that's up to 100% off what you offer. So mm -hmm. if you scroll down and offer 55 cents on the dollar, it will populate the offer with that price, sign it, send it off to the listing agent. Wow. Then you just field counter offers all day. Okay. How uh, are you guys calling afterwards or are we just sending them? So we started out, the, as soon as we built it, Justin on my team went in and he, he probably made 2,000 offers in one, one little fail swoop. And then just the phone calls came just flooding in. So yeah. what we figured out was if you do about a hundred a day, it's manageable. Mm -hmm. um, so he'll just go in in the mornings, 
pull up the list, um, the hot sheet, and then pull up anything that falls into that criteria in a couple search, save search criteria that we do. And he'll send those off. And then, um, he doesn't even put his phone number in the email. It just says the body of the email says something along the lines of we're, Hey, we're local real estate investors. We know this isn't full price. Um, please send us, uh, either an acceptance or a counter offer back via email because he doesn't want to talk to 200 people a day. Uh, so only the motivated ones, if you guys are listening, right? Like there's a way that you can just blast your offer to all the listings in MLS. Correct. Um, so what kind of calls is he getting? Or I guess you removed the phone number. So what kind of calls was he getting? Um, a little bit of both. I mean, it's kind of like direct mail. You get some people that are pissed <laughs> off and saying this is just, I mean, it's a disrespectful offer. And mm-hmm. then you get some people that will call in and say, hey, my people aren't willing to take X, but they'll take Y. Mm-hmm. And then he just negotiates back and forth. Most of it's done through email though. Yeah. Um, but we're picking up between two and four deals a month from agents, mostly through the app. That's awesome. And then we mentioned earlier that we, we connected through Collective Genius. Now, one of the things I really enjoy uh, at CG, one of the things I look forward to is playing basketball. Yep. Right? Now, you're an assassin, right? I don't know how because you don't play between CGs, uh, but you, you did play college ball. Yeah, I'm retired now. Though. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, was there anything that you took from playing college basketball that translated to your business? I mean, working on a team, I think was a, a key part that I took to business. Um, working as a team, being a leader, um, help supporting others, mm-hmm. um, being respectful of others, uh, the hard work, that has to, that goes into being a college athlete. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just think there's a lot, a lot of intangibles that, that translate into business. Uh, there's someone I connected to very recently as uh, Dan Nichols and he wrote a book, rigging the game. And he mentioned like, uh, you can learn a lot about a person based off the way they play basketball or based off how they play their favorite sport or hobby. Right. Uh, and so for me, he, uh, I was in that conversation, I was thinking of two different things. A, I'm not athletic but I will hound you down. <laughs> All right. I would agree with that as you go, end up guarding me most of the time. Yeah. Well, I take it personal when you're hitting those game winners, right? <laughs> so I will hound you down. Uh, so that's the first thing. And second thing is I always want the game winning shot. Um, not saying I'm the, I'm, I'm the best athlete. I'm not saying I'm the best basketball player. I just want the game winner. Right. And we're talking about, so how this might translate to business is that I will outwork the competition. Yep. Right. And the, the, taking the game winning shot may potentially demonstrate like, I don't care if people get mad, which means you'll be willing to take more risk. Yeah. You're, right? you're pretty fearless. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, I, I was just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Now uh, we have a whole bunch of questions in here, which is awesome. So before we go to answer all these questions, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to answer all these questions. Hey, Steve Trang here. A lot of you have been asking me for sales management training. I didn't feel quite right teaching it, 
but I found the perfect guy to teach it for us. So Ren, tell us about it. Steve, we're gonna be introducing some really intense fundamentals and philosophy behind the management of sales teams. Uh, have a ton of experience building really high performance sales teams and really taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that management practices and theories from all over the place and brought them together to create a unique whole person perspective that drives low performers to high performers and elite caliber salespeople into sales champions and couldn't be more excited to partner with you on it and the Sales Disruptors brand. For sure, so go to disruptors.com slash success and we'll see you at the next event. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so we're adding the feature. So right now the app sends offers to all the agents. So mm -hmm. it's pretty much only making offers to the active listing agents in the market. So agents that have active listings. So I said, all right, well, how do we touch every agent in the market that has a real estate license. So the app, will, you'll be able to send just a blanket email out to the entire data, to the entire agent list. So yeah. like how many, how many agents are in Phoenix? 10,000 plus? I think it's 40,000 plus. 40,000 agents. So yeah. the app already has perfect data because it's pulling from the MLS. So it has their, their email and their, their phone number. Yeah. So the app will be able to send out once, a, once, twice a month, as, many, as often as you want to, one blanket email, then you can just say, hey, um, hey, first name, I'm sitting on some cash right now looking for an investment property. Do you have any listings either on the market or coming up where yeah. sellers are motivated or the house uh, in disrepair? Yeah. Um, there's no way that doesn't pick you up deals. Yeah, there's 40,000 no agents. There's yeah. just no chance. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so <laughs> is there some uh, pushback here? Uh, someone was saying, Realtors don't provide much value, neither do wholesalers. You want to, you want to add some your your opinion on that? I mean, good it sounds like their mind might, might be set already. Yeah, good real estate agents don't provide any value. Um, and then, uh, I mean, wholesalers that back out of deals and don't don't fulfill what they tell you they're they're going right. to do, and they don't end up closing the deal. Yeah, they don't provide any value either. But you can't tell me that we haven't helped families get out of situations that needed quick cash um, or just did not want to go through the whole home sale process. Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, realtors are not that valuable if you look at them in the way that the industry, or not the industry, the general public looks at them, right? Because the general public thinks all the realtor does is put the house on MLS. Correct. Take pictures, right? Yeah. And if that's the perception, if that's what you think realtors do, then yeah, that's not really that much value. You can do that with software. Yeah. Right? But navigating out of a sticky situation being able to negotiate, I would argue today is very different than it was uh, just a, a few months ago. Um, I actually had Matthew Potter. He was on the show, I want to say about a month, month and a half ago. And he was, co he coined this term. I don't know if it's, if it's going anywhere else. They called them COVID realtors, right? These are all the realtors that got started around COVID. Yeah. Right. Using that stimulus money to go to real estate school. Well, they had it great for two years. <laughs> yeah. Um, they can't negotiate worth crap because they haven't been through a market where you actually have to negotiate. There was no negotiation. Everything was as is, <laughs> and you pretty much take it, take it right. the way that, that it looks or you're not buying it. Exactly. So uh, I would challenge, there's, there's a lot of interesting situations that I would believe that realtors do provide a lot of value, but if it's just putting a sign in the yard, definitely that is not where the value comes from. Uh, agreed. Uh, Robert is asking on Facebook, how can you close two out of three timeshares? So I can't answer that question, but, um, what would you say, you know, additionally that we didn't cover 
really helped you become successful when you were selling timeshares originally? Um, I mean, it just come, came back to good teaching and good sales coaching. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that I've ever done at any sales organization, whether it's the retail side, timeshare, um, or the wholesale side, I would always go find the best person in that office or the best mm-hmm. person that I could find to teach me what they're doing. Um, and then just copy exactly what they did. Yeah. So now I think once you got and showed success, I think in that organization, they started feeding me the best leads that came in too. Right. And the most qualified buyers that came through those doors. So that helped my, I'm sure that helped my numbers. Probably did. Now we're talking about sales training. So I've had the honor to work with you guys and your team as far as the, the sales training for buying houses. Yep. So, you know, I talk to people they are like, well, I don't really need sales training. Right. And you're, you've seen it from the, I love this, right? From the timeshare side, from the cold calling expired side, and from the buying houses side. Talk to me, like, wh- why do you invest in sales training? Because without sales, there's no income. I mean, yeah. without quality salespeople, the difference between a good salesperson, a mediocre salesperson, and a poor salesperson is hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Wouldn't you agree on that? I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, I think on the whole sale flip, fix and flip side, a good acquisitions man, a very good sales, sales trained acquisitions person mm-hmm. is a 10 to $20,000 per deal um, difference in profit. Yeah. Or the deal just even just doesn't even get done. Yeah. Or you're just even coming back to the office with a signed contract. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So uh, let's see what here. What does he do in his systems to make the point of lead discovery through conversion and ultra efficient process? What is in between that process? So, um, so lead discovery to conversion. So I guess, you know, talk to us about, you know, when you're running a, an appointment, what do you do to go from the discovery part to getting a signed contract? From, so most of our deals are coming from direct mail. So mm-hmm. call comes in and it's through call rail. So it's all recorded. Um, live answer, like we talked about, they go through a, a script um, that we use your script yeah. We qualify the appointment. We confirm the appointment the day before just to make sure the person is going to show up. And then my sales guy goes to the appointment and he uses your sales scripts as well um, for the presentation yeah. to get the signed contract. I mean, it is a process. It's not just, hey, you want to sell your house? Okay, I'll meet you there Thursday. And then you you go out there. I mean, we are trial closing these people on the phone, mm-hmm. making sure that they're ready to sign contracts when we're getting out there, um, or at least prepping them that we want them to make a decision when they go out there. And then- the guy at the appointment is reinforcing, I want you to make a decision when we're out here. Yeah. Um, so just building a sales process. Yeah. Um, let's see what else we have here. Um, I don't understand some of these questions here. Uh, so real places, you're saying, does he reorganize segment or what are his segments? So if you can just re-ask that question a different way, real places. The other one was, uh, if you were to be consulted by Dan Kennedy, how would you describe and define his segments? So I'm not sure what segments means. Maybe by marketing? I don't know that I understand that question. Yeah. I do love Dan Kennedy, though. I do love Dan Kennedy. His books are um, some of my favorites. So let's talk about how Dan Kennedy's made an impact for you and your business. Um, the No BS Time Management book is probably my favorite. That yeah. guy's just ruthless in the, the way he does yeah. everything. Um, but, and then the note. So that basically taught me how to prioritize my day mm-hmm. um, and not chaotically just put out fires all day long. Right. Um, so being proactive about my day, I'd say that was the big, one of the biggest things from that book. Um, and then the no BS 
management. I think it's ruthless management of people. I think mm-hmm. he's a little bit more of a beat your employees over the head with mm-hmm. a stick than hang a carrot out in front of them. Yeah. Um, but I definitely picked up a couple of good nuggets from him, from that. I mean, I've read probably six of his books. Uh, my favorite term from the no BS time management book was uh, time vampires. Yeah. Right. <laughs> These people would just come in and just suck the time out of you. Yeah. Um, I think that um, uh, I've had multiple people ask me, like, I want to get better at marketing. I was like, oh, well, then you need to just go review all Dan Kennedy stuff. But make sure you leave your credit card in a place that you can't access it because the guy is the absolute best when it comes to marketing. I mean, he'll tug at your heart and you'll want to buy. Yeah, in his books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, the, the, the joke I've made is like, you know, treat anytime you're watching uh, Dan Kennedy material almost like you're going to a strip club. Like you just, you cannot access <laughs> any of your capital because you'll want to buy whatever it is he's marketing. That's true. Um, so Lotto on YouTube, if your primary market channel was taken away and had to pick up a new one, which would you pick up? Interesting question. Um, so it's been direct mail for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about our Zoom offers. So it was interesting with Zoom offers. So Zoom offers worked really well from like 2004 14 through 2018, mm-hmm. I guess is, were the years that we had it when there was a lot of inventory. Well, then the inventory fell off the cliff in our market. I'm sure it did here too. There was mm-hmm. just nothing on the MLS. So buying on the MLS stopped. Yeah. Um, but now it's almost, it looks like our direct mail is dropping down. Our response, is, our response is dropping. So now we're having to go back to the MLS. So I like going to the MLS and to the realtors in the market. Yeah. And the, the agents' incomes are getting whacked right now. So they're motivated as heck to put deals together. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the COVID realtor thing, right? Like if they're used to selling two, three houses a month without doing anything, and now it's taking like 60, 90 days to sell one property, mm-hmm. they're, they're a little more motivated, maybe even more motivated than the homeowner. Correct. They're definitely more motivated than the homeowner. Yeah. In a lot of situations. And they will... They'll take the homeowner and throw them under the bus. I mean, not all real estate agents work in the best interest of their clients. No, not at all. Um, and another question from Lotto. Uh, would you ever develop commercial from the ground up? From the ground up? Um, I wouldn't by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would find somebody that's done it before me that's very good at it and partner with them first before, yeah. I, before I went that route. Yeah, that's a great point. And then uh, if you couldn't do real estate anymore, what business would you start? A sales training uh, <laughs> coaching business. Come at me. Let's go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but is there another business that you find uh, uh, fascinating? Um, I think if, if I couldn't do real estate, I think I would just get I would maybe back into basketball of yeah. some type. I'd love to work for like an NBA team or something. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, like playing basketball, like I enjoy going. There's like, there's you, there's Leon, uh, there's Jimmy. Right. So for the guys that don't know Jimmy Vreeland, he was on uh, part of the disruption last week. Uh, and there's more guys. Um, Santini. Santini. Yeah. Right. There's a bunch of guys. It's like, it's a lot of work to keep up with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. How do you incentivize your salespeople enough to stay with you and not run with your systems? Which is, I think the greatest fear we talk about, you know, with our sales leadership, trying to, the five is retaining the talent. So yeah. how do you retain top talent? I mean, just creating a good culture in the office. Mm-hmm. We compensate them very fairly. 
um, like most of our sales guys make, they're highly compensated. Yeah. Um, could they go off and do it on their own? Yeah, they could, mm -hmm. but not everybody's built to go build a business. As you know, some people are just very good salespeople, yeah. but that, that doesn't mean they can go be an entrepreneur and actually build a business and take yeah. the risk of sending $20,000 of marketing out a month to yeah. not know that that money's not coming back. Um, so I just don't think I've never really gone at it with a scarcity mindset concern that people are leaving and just have always just tried to treat them right, pay them right. And, yeah. and knock on wood, they've stayed. Uh, what do you, I, mean, I was, I was around $20, $20,000 a month. What do you guys typically spend a month in, in direct mail? Um, about that. About that. Yeah. Are you guys doing TV at all? We're not doing TV. Yeah. Uh, and then let's see what else is there. Rephrase. Each seller must fall into a segment. What segments has Cal defined such that his correspondence communication is more relevant? I guess, how do you segment your audience, uh, your, your targeted audience as far as maybe direct mail? Um, I mean, we buy all of our lists. Mm -hmm. We buy Richard's list, yeah. uh, which is audentic. Mm -hmm. And we just, I mean, we just mail them. Yeah. So, and we have, we have strategies in how we mail them and when we get the leads and how many times we hit them and they're, they're scored. I mean, mm -hmm. there's definitely a process to it. Yeah. But that'd be a whole podcast in itself. Uh, you want to give a high level? Uh, what are one or two things you do with that list? Um, mail it, text it, um, pretty, mail it, text it, call it. Mm -hmm. But we haven't, we're not big on cold calling like yeah. we used to be. We need to get back to it. Uh, well, you know, our team's doing really well with cold calling. They're enjoying it. And then we saw Jesus post this morning. Did you see that in the Facebook group? Uh -uh. So Oklahoma City has passed some legislation to have their own local TCPA compliance. Which could be a real thing across the country, right? Yeah, that'd be a problem. Yeah, I mean, because Oklahoma City was one of the first markets to require some sort of regulation. I think they had to be a licensed realtor, right, to, to wholesale in Oklahoma City. And so they just passed something where it's, uh, uh, I think they called it mini TCPA. So yeah. Like $500 for infraction or something along those lines. I think I just moved markets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then uh, Brian's asking, could you share some samples of your postcard marketing? So I think, I mean, how different is it than what uh, you see as far as like, you know, investor machine or your letter, right? It's just one of their templates. Yeah. I think a lot of people try to overcomplicate this, but really it's just doing it. And doing it consistently. I think what people do is they send it out once and then if they don't do a deal from it, I mean, we have plenty of weeks where mail, 5,000 mailers go out and we don't get any return from it. Yeah. Um, but we do it every single week with the same amount and we track it. How many calls are coming in? And it used to be 1% was kind of the rule. I've never gotten to 1%. No, now we're like 0.33% somewhere yeah. around there. And it just, I mean, it's constantly <laughs> going down as direct mail costs constantly go yeah. up. Um, so then it's important to go make sure that you're squeezing every dollar out of every deal. Yeah, I think our best was a like half percent response rate. Yeah, that's just your market's more competition than ours. Yeah. I would say. Uh, so, Christopher Lee, how did you decide to choose your marketing when you started building your portfolio? Um, most of my deals came from brokers mm -hmm. around the country. Um, I just picked the phone up and just cold called a bunch of commercial real estate agents, told them I was looking, and that's how like my first deal went down. And then once once you close one deal with that agent and they see that you can perform. You're in some sort of database. Correct. They send you another one. And then once you, it's like 
it's kind of like a snowball effect. It's like once people know that you own stuff, then they start bringing you opportunities. And that's how my entire portfolio has been more yeah. word of mouth. I think what Tim did was like the smartest thing, right? Tim, yeah, that's why Tim owns 10 times as many doors <laughs> as I do. Let me, let me start a uh, course on buying apartments. Yeah. And then everyone's like, hey, Tim, how do I close this deal? Yeah, because they know how to go. He'll teach them how to go find them. They'll go find them. And then they they don't really feel comfortable closing them. So uh, they bring them to, I mean, Tim's, yeah, Tim's got it going on. Yeah, he's, he's, he's one of the smartest things you could possibly do. Yeah, <laughs> if that's why his portfolio is like 4,000 doors. Yeah. And you guys did an island together, right? Yeah, I've sold Tim a couple properties. Um, I remember he posted about that island. I was like, this is, this is crazy, right? It's and, like 100 acres. They're working on building some tiny homes out there. Um, yeah, it's cool. I, I talked to, when I saw that, I mean, I tagged, I, I think I shared it on Facebook to my wife. I was like, Hey, uh, so Tim's buying, uh, an Island. Um, I want to get in on this. And she's like, for what? So we own an Island. Like there's not much <laughs> <laughs> for an ego. Plan. <laughs> there's, it's not a sound business decision, right? It's yeah. Just, just but I, they're trying to turn it into where it'll cash flow with, the, all the little tiny homes out there. Yeah. Well, that's smart. And he's going to do masterminds out there. It's cool. It's a cool spot. Yeah. Uh, but you were involved in, in that somehow? I was a real estate agent in the sale of that one. Yeah. You got it. How was the due diligence on that thing? Um, I wasn't a whole lot of help <laughs> for the guy that said real estate agents aren't helpful. <laughs> um, uh, he has his own due diligence team yeah. in their office and they, they did most of it. Yeah. I can't imagine this is not a simple like, hey, why don't you go, you know, check uh, the plumbing on this property. No, it's more like calling the town and figuring out what can be put out there and what type of hoops they're going to have to jump through to build out there. Yeah. And uh, Christopher Lee is someone that we used to, we do a lot of running together, but since I started playing basketball, I haven't been running so much. Um, and then Khalil, um, would you suggest, what would you suggest is the best way to get started for a beginner wholesaler with a low budget? Um. I know I'm sitting here self-promoting Zoom offers, but and that's only $500 a month where you know how expensive direct mail is. Yeah. Direct mail, you can easily get up to 20. I mean, we know we have friends that spend over $100,000 a month on direct mail. Yeah. Um, but for $500 a month and you're, you're all, I can't guarantee you're going to do a deal, but if you use it, you should do a, at least a deal a month from it. Does that come with MLS access or, I mean, it's just, it just pulls all it just pulls from, from MLS. MLS. That's crazy. But that's worth $500 just to be able to email all the agents in the market. Yeah. I mean, to get quality realtor data, it's hard. Super hard. Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's a no brainer. Um, let's see what else we got here. This is a question that if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. Do you ever intentionally direct mail a seller who's listed with a realtor? No. Yeah. Not this, intentionally. And then all of our postcards say if, if your home is listed with the licensed agent, this yeah. is not to solicit your business, not solicit, not to solicit your business. So someone that mentored me, I never did this, but someone that mentored me is like, why wouldn't you <laughs> mail to everyone that's already listed with the real estate? They've already raised their hands. And all you have to do is just put that language there. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's technically your loophole. <laughs> I, I, I never did it. I thought it was clever, you know, but I did not have the cajones to... <laughs> I've never done it to go to war <laughs> with the realtor community. So you want to um, make them your friends. Exactly. I'm telling you, you want them on your side, not your yeah. enemies. Uh, so what are you excited about for, I mean, I know we still got a couple more months this year, but what are you excited about in 2023? I think distress is going to go up. 
Um, I think so. I think so. I think it's going to be a tougher year on the retail brokerage side mm-hmm. to actually sell homes. I think there's going to be less transactions in the markets. Oh, it's going to be significantly less. Yeah, a lot less. Yeah. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot more sell. As you see all the inventory start stack up, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of people get desperate and start unloading some stuff at prices that they shouldn't, mm-hmm. which will in turn maybe drive some prices down a little bit. All right. It's kind of like this vicious cycle where if we just don't participate in it, you'll be fine. But somebody's going to participate and it just keeps going down. Correct. Yeah. And I, I, the PPP money and that the idle money is starting to run out. I think, I, I think, think it started to run out. I think it's ran out. I, I, and I think we're going to, you're either going to get your ass kicked from it mm-hmm. um, here in the next 12 months. Or I think there are going to be some people that, that build big businesses and, and capitalize on the opportunities. Well, this is a kind of market where you can like, um, make a name for yourself. It's not the right word I want to use, right expression I want to use, but like you can really like create your opportunity in this market. Yeah. You can right? separate yourself. Separate sure. yourself. That's what it is. Um, what is your why? Um, my why is really just getting quality time. Um, and my, you brought, you asked where I want to go with things and my business and my weekly schedule. My why is just, being able to spend quality time with who I want, when I want, with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do I build businesses that support that? Yeah. Um, what is your biggest struggle today? Um, man, I feel pretty blessed. I don't have a lot of terrible struggles. I'd say I've got some challenges with some of these big apartments and the renovation projects on some yeah. of them. Um, but I mean, they're, they're a blessing just as much as they are a struggle. Yeah. How much cash do you typically have to raise to, to take down an apartment complex? Um, usually 20%. Yeah. Well, more like 30% because you're going to want to raise the uh, renovation money too. Right. Just depending on how much it needs. And like your typical apartment, like how much are you buying it for? Most of my stuff's going to be between a million and five million bucks. Okay. So, so I'm not doing like the huge deals like Corey and Tim are doing. Yeah. So like 300K to maybe... Um, million and a half which is pretty easy to raise yeah yeah okay uh how do you stay motivated um i've had a number that's i want to make x amount a month in passive income Mm -hmm. and i'm not to that number yet so that's kind of been like the carrot hanging out in front of me so you're an entrepreneur one thing we tend to do is move the goalposts it'll get moved i'm sure (laughs) yeah yeah so do you believe like when you get there you'll be able to be content? Probably not. Yeah. No, man, I'm a rabbit chaser. Yeah. Um, I'm going to chase the next shiny object, even if I get to that number. Right. I'm not sitting at home doing nothing. Yeah, and, I mean, and that's the biggest struggle we all, we all face. Um, how do you measure success? Quality of life. Yeah. Do you have any kind of like targets, metrics, at all in, in saying like, you know, I mean, it's, it sounds really crazy, right? To like scorecard your life. Yeah. But is there anything that you look for to like give you an indication you're doing the right thing? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to tie it all to financial. Right. Um, I really just want to get to where I can, again, do what I want, when I want, with who I want. And I'd like to be able to take not only my immediate family, my wife, my two kids, but like, be the provider of fun for 
my brother and his wife or my parents, my in-laws. Like that's when I know I feel like I'm winning when I can take them to go do fun things and experience things that they, they haven't been able to do. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of of your wife, you know, I was giving you a hard time because you've never won a belt before. I have not won a belt and she has. And she has. What were some eye-opening things from that, from her winning that belt for you? Um, Actually, before you do that, what, what is opening, what is winning a belt? Oh, so at Collective Genius, they, everybody does a presentation and then the best presenter for that particular event wins a, like a wrestling belt. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the trophy for that event. Uh, we all want it. Well, you've won. I know we all want oh, it. We all want, yeah, we all want it. I've never won it. You've won it how many times? <laughs> Just once. Okay, you've won it. Um, so she came to me and she said, hey, Caleb, I've got this kind of on my heart. I want to speak at this one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what are you going to talk about? And then she goes and she starts building her presentation on being married to an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that she asked me and said to me as she's building that presentation. And I think it hit the room pretty hard. It did. Um, being, entrepreneur, being married to an entrepreneur is not as easy as we think it is. We mm-hmm. think, oh, we provide you this glorious we're life. Awesome, right? Yeah, we just think <laughs> we're fantastic. Um, and man, you get to go do these trips and you get this quality of life. And really that's not all they want. They want some of, they want more of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Was there anything else in her presentation that like was eye opening for you? Mm, I would say the biggest was that she just wanted more of me and that she wanted to actually know more about the business mm-hmm. um, and be more involved than I thought she would have wanted. Yeah. I've wanted to be. Right. And uh, there was one note I took from her, from her presentation was to go back and evaluate, you know, what the spouse needs to feel safe. I believe it was like, you know, what, what is the number in the bank account or something along those lines yeah. to feel safe. And then having an open dialogue about the progress in that. Right. Cause otherwise they're operating in the blind yep. in the dark and there are no good thoughts when we're operating in the dark. Correct. Yeah. Um, what is your superpower? Um, I'd say delegation. Yeah. I'm pretty good at delegating, like figuring out what, where, which direction we need to go and pitching it. Yeah. Um, would your team feel that you're great at delegating? They probably don't appreciate as much delegation <laughs> as I get. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's the answer to that one. Yeah. I'm only asking this cause like I, I have this habit of like, Hey, like, let's go do this. Right. And in my mind it's like a crystal clear picture. Yep. And in there, they're like, what the hell did Steve just say? <laughs> <laughs> right. And then we found out like we actually, uh, I presented on this, right. This is something I learned from Larry Yash was like, you know, like, what does he want me to do? Uh, do I have the resources for it? Um, how will we know we're successful? And then, uh, do I accept the responsibility? Cause like, I just kind of like one way, like, Hey, go do this. And they're like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you give gonna, no instructions or no, <laughs> no details. instructions. Yeah. All uh, right. We talk about, was it in, in, in uh, rock, if you're right. Like the classic visionary. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And then, uh, what is the greatest lesson you've learned? Ooh, the greatest lesson I've learned from business in general. I'd say the greatest lesson I've learned is just, is don't burn bridges yeah, um, and treat people how you want to be treated. And I think that would just, I mean, that's the gasoline behind building a big, a great business. 
Have you seen this? I guess when you're bringing this up, like a situation where you've done on accident, someone's done it to you or you witnessed it. Um, a little of everything. Yeah. I mean, I used to be quick to snap and burn a bridge. Like if I thought somebody crossed me, I thought there was always only one side of the story. Mm -hmm. I never really looked at it as how they looked at me or how they looked at how they've helped me grow or helped me do this for so long. Mm -hmm. I've always thought about it. It's like, I've always, I did this for you. I did this for you. And then just you're dead to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just not that way anymore. I try not to burn any bridges. Um, I burnt bridges in the past and it just, you, there's no, there's nothing that can win from burning a bridge. Yeah. Um, you never know when you'll need those people again, or, you know, you'll never know, know when they need, may need you. Yeah. Have you seen it cost you uh, opportunities? I mean, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, um, I've had people reach out to me. They're like, Hey, we love what you're doing. You know, we'd love to be involved in this, uh, you know, help, help us promote this. And I go back to like, do you guys remember like two years ago when this went down? Yeah. And they're like, Oh like, yeah. So I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should be a little more forgiving, but I have a really long memory. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite, best, or most interesting failure? My most interesting failure? Mm -hmm. um, that's a great question. I mean, I'd say my biggest business failure was we, f we flipped a house and lost like $150,000 just because we didn't manage the, con the contractor right. We didn't manage... I mean, everything was mismanaged throughout the whole process. The purchase price, the resale price, the contractor, um, we got stuff stolen. I mean, it's everything went could have gone wrong, went wrong with that one deal. And uh, we put in safety precautions going forward to, to, to avoid <laughs> One of your issues. earlier deals. Yes. It was like my fifth deal. Yeah. And uh, there's something I had posted about it uh, in, in the CG group. I don't know. I don't know if you saw it. I were talking about, you know, like who we're going to sell to, who is the avatar we're selling to today. Right. And I put one of the things in there is like, I was that green buyer who grossly underestimated repairs. Yeah. Who had no experience dealing with contractors or subs, but expected to make like 20, 30 K on a flip. So was that kind of like, that was pretty much what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And then I don't like to go or, now that I mean, you know, I can easily go out and find a buyer like that to wholesale a property mm -hmm. too. I could easily sell something to somebody that I know they would pay X price, and they're going to turn around and lose money, but they'll never come back to me ever again and buy. Right, goes uh, back to the burning bridges thing. Correct. So I would rather treat them as I would want to be treated. Mm -hmm. Tell them here's probably where the numbers are going to fall. X Y Z. You run your own numbers, mm -hmm. but this will make money because yeah. I want my people coming back and returning and buying from us. Absolutely, that's a great point. Um, and then what book have you gifted more than any other? Um, how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, what is it specifically about that book that reaches out to you? Cause I know you, you really focus on sales, right. And communications. And, and yeah. So what is it about that book that really, uh, resonates with you? Um, it just really teaches you how to build relationships mm -hmm. with people, um, and be more inquisitive about that person and truly care about what's going on in their life. Yeah. Um, talk twice as much as, or listen twice as much as you talk. Perfect. So uh, I'm going to make a couple of quick announcements. Uh, so think about what you leave the listeners with, and then we'll leave you with some final thoughts. So 
Guys, if you get value today, please like, subscribe, share, comment. It helps us reach more people. Uh, and then we do, again, have our leadership, sales leadership training next Friday and Saturday. If you're interested, DM me on Instagram, the word leadership. And then we do have part of the disruption tomorrow and certainty talks on Friday. And next week, we got Landon and Jesse Boakley, who also do a lot of MLS deals and are flipping very well in Vegas. They'll be coming in next week to talk about their journey. So what are the last thoughts you'd like to leave all the listeners with? Um. It's going to be, it could be a next, a tough next eight to 12 months. And I think a lot of people are thinking that don't quit. Um, you, you may take some losses here over the next couple months. If yeah. you bought some bad deals here in the last four to six months, it's coming. Um, but just don't let that discourage you and don't quit. Yeah. Do you find, again, going back to your basketball career, that this grit thing is kind of something that was ingrained in you? Or? I think you're born with it born with it yeah yeah so yeah everyone don't quit do not let this market discourage you if someone wants to get a hold of you or, or, or connect with you how's the best way for them to do that um i'd say just email me yeah yeah and your email uh it's caleb c-a-l-e-b then it's c as in cat p as in paul team t-e-a-m as in man at gmail.com so it's caleb cp team at gmail.com all right, perfect. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank That's you for awesome. having me on, bud. Oh, of course. And I'll see you guys all next week. Shout out to Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors.